You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Redhead Properties. And today we have a very interesting and special guest with us, Travis Watts. And Travis is actually a full-time passive apartment investor. Uh, He's also now the Director of Investor Relations at Ashcroft Capital, which is uh, one of Joe Fairless's uh, companies, parent company. And, um, you know, uh, Travis is going to talk to us kind of about his story, um, kind of almost transitioning in a way from active to to passive. And he's also worked in the oil industry um, in the nine to five or maybe even longer hours uh, (laughs) capacity um, to transition his lifestyle and to, um, you know, achieve financial freedom um, pretty quickly. So uh, really appreciate you coming on the show and I'm very excited to hear your story here. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Anthony. Sure, Travis. So let's start from the, uh, let's start from the beginning. Not the micro beginning, but you know what I mean. Start at my birth. Here we go. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think the the concept for me of of passive investing started back in high school. I had read uh, Rich Dad Prophecy. So I know a lot of people get started in real estate with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, kind of the the flagship book of of Roberts. But uh, Rich Dad Prophecy, the only real takeaway I got being a high schooler, kind of new to the world of investing and finance was... Uh, don't be in the stock market. That's about it. <laughs> There's going to be this big meltdown, blah, blah, blah. And I read that book in about 2005, 2006. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I don't know, you know, if he's a fortune teller or what, but here comes the great recession. Uh, I had stayed out of the stock market throughout that period uh, and knew that I wanted to one day get into real estate. Didn't know how, didn't know when, you know, I just, I was, I was a lost soul. But <laughs> in 2009, I'm, I'm taking a look out in Colorado where I grew up at a couple homes at that point, kind of in the fall of, of 09. Number one, there was a, a government stimulus for first time home buyers. They were giving like an $8,000 credit if you qualified and, you know, that wasn't, you didn't have to pay it back, right? So I had that. Plus, I'm, I'm taking a look at this two-bedroom, one-bath that previously sold for about $165,000 that was now on sale for $95,000. Uh, it wasn't any kind of special property or off you know, the, the books of a bank or anything. It wasn't even a foreclosure. It was just a home. And I really fell in love with the idea that this is, this is the time. You know, let's just start this and I'll, I'll couple these two factors together and, and we'll just see how it goes. Uh, the first thing I did is I got into house hacking. So renting out spare bedrooms, it was near a, a college campus. So, you know, had endless amounts of opportunity there to, to rent that way and being single, no kids, blah, 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 made it, you know, very uh, easy for me to do that. Uh, once I kind of got the ball rolling, started seeing like what I called passive income at that point, which was someone just handing me a check once a month that paid my mortgage. That was pretty exciting. Uh, so from there, I just, I dove more into the single family space. So I ended up getting involved with, uh, you know, buy and holds, fix and flips, vacation rentals. I did all these different active hands-on strategies until I burned myself out. (laughs) 
you know, I started, I built myself a job. I didn't mean to do that. I was working, by the way, on the side of all of that. I was working in an uh, oil field job, 98 hour work weeks. That's 14 hours per day, seven days a week. I did have days off here and there, but they, they were few and far between. So uh, you can imagine how much spare time I had. You can imagine trying to scale this big active hands-on single family portfolio and how far one might get in the process uh, before, you know, break point. So as I hit that break point around 2015, I had to really self-reflect. I had to really look inward. I had to really say, what are your skills? What are you good at? Uh, do you even enjoy what you're doing? You know, I had this, this elusive goal that, you know, I'm going to have 50 or hundred single family homes. I didn't even know why. And so basically I learned, I had to go back to podcasts. I had to go back to reading. I found mentors and I, and I discovered how to become a passive hands-off investor. I love real estate. I'm just so bullish on real estate in so many different ways. However, I didn't want to be hands-on. I didn't want to be, you know, managing tenants, having to drive neighborhoods on my days off, looking for properties and competing with all the moms and pops out there. It was just, it's a lot of work. So from that point became, um, you know, what I refer to as a full-time passive investor, done about 30 passive deals as a limited partner and uh, many with Ashcroft Capital. And so uh, later kind of in this process, you know, I, uh, that financial freedom, if you will, gave me the ability to sync up with a team that I was investing with that I believed in. And so that's kind of where we are today is I help educate spread the word about <laughs> passive investing, passive income, and, and just syndications in general. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. That is awesome. So can you kind of talk about um, that? You, you mentioned there was a light bulb moment when you realized, oh man, I can't, how am I going to handle all this and working in the oil industry? It's like, how am I going to do all this? So yeah, I had a light bulb moment to consider the passive route. Can you kind of describe your experience? Maybe it was your first passive investment, whether it was with Ashcroft or not. Kind of, yeah. obviously that went well, right? So you kind of saw the power of, um, you know, essentially compounding your money in a, even though the investment's a little bit illiquid, um, mm -hmm. the cash flow I'm sure you're receiving is far worth it without doing anything. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you, have can you talk about yeah, your first experience passively investing? Yeah, I think that that whole process started with, you know, instead of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, it was the opposite, right? I kind of saw the light shutting in. <laughs> so I, okay. I can't do this forever. You know, what am I going to do? Um, it, it really was was pretty basic, I guess, in the sense that I, I really just sat down to calculate net worth really for the first really detailed time. So I'm sitting there taking all my single family homes and my residence and all, and, and I'm saying, okay, what if I sold all this stuff and I paid all the taxes and I paid the realtor fees and commissions and what would I be left with? Okay, what if I took that amount and I started placing that into passive uh, private placements, syndications, you know, one at a time, minimum investments, whatever. Sure. And so I, I kind of came up in my head with a conservative cash flow amount, being that these would be stabilized properties with high occupancy and, and that kind of stuff, not like new development and, and, and things like that. So from there, I just realized it was like, that was my light bulb is ding, you know, that amount of income could allow me to leave an oil field job that number one, I really didn't like. And number two, I didn't feel was ever going to be sustainable. 
uh, you know, for those that have worked in oil and gas, it's a boom and bust industry. You know, even if you love your job and you want it and you want to do 50 years there, it's unlikely you're going to get that opportunity because you'll be laid off at some point. So, sure. um, so that was anyway, that was my belief. And, and so, um, from that point, I did one syndication deal. I knew enough just through speaking to, you know, with others that have done this and through podcasts to kind of, I, I, I understood it to a point, but frankly, I was a little skeptical. I thought maybe it's a little too good to be true. I thought, you know, these returns that I'm looking at, these projected returns, I should say, are the same, if not better than what I was getting on my single family homes that I was having to do all this work on. So I thought there's no way if it were that easy, everyone would be doing it. Well, right. it turned out to actually be true. I mean, it, it was real. So made one investment with a local group, uh, just a small syndication group. Uh, that's where I started learning that track record and experience actually go a long way and they actually mean quite a bit. Yeah. I put way too much emphasis on the deal, the performa. And, um, you know, I should have put a lot more emphasis on the team itself it was kind of, uh, if you want to call it a mistake, a, a learning curve, what have you. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I started my first few deals is that way, kind of smaller groups, those that I had relationships with and, and could meet up face to face. From there, I just kept evolving and learning and networking. And I found out, oh, there's so many players in this space. There's so many great groups to work with. And as I was selling off my single family homes, I just kept rolling that into syndication. So it gave me an opportunity to get a lot of high growth exposure over like a two, three year time frame. So, you know, going zero to 30 deals in, in just a handful of years um, gives you quite a bit of insight. Sure. No, absolutely. So can you kind of talk, you, you, you touched on something I was going to ask you. Um, when you're evaluating sponsors opportunities, you're also mm -hmm. vetting the sponsor themselves. Yeah. Sure. So how do you get comfortable with, you mentioned track record. Mm -hmm. How do you get comfortable with making an LP investment with a sponsor? And because there have been cases, even with my firm, where, you know, I, I, you get to know someone, you meet them face to face or whatever, but they find out about, you know, my company through whether it's social media or online, and then I get to know them after, but we haven't, known each other for years and years and years. Yeah. We do establish because there's so many SEC regulations that in yep. relationship. Um, sure. But what do you look for primarily when you're vetting the sponsor? Not so much the deal, but the sponsor. I'm sure yeah. there's a, a, a bunch of, bunch of things you could say. Sure. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's an hour topic in itself. But uh, basically to, to me, it starts with knowing your own criteria your own self, like why do you want to be in, say, self-storage? Why do you want to be in value-add multifamily? Why do you want to be in new development? Why do you want to be in office, retail, short-term rentals? There's so many different asset classes, types, business plans, hold times, uh, quarterly distributions, monthly distributions. There's a lot of things to think about. So number one is always, to me, writing down your criteria, knowing your why and your reasons, and making sure that you're aligning that with a group that basically shares the same philosophy. That's kind of an instant rapport, right? Though you may not know this person for years, if you can click on all these levels and say, yeah, that's how I think about it. Yeah, I like that too. And I love to you know, do the refinance strategy and not sell, or I love to sell in five years, not hold it forever. Uh, everybody's different. So aligning yourself that way, uh, always have some kind of, um, 
you know, face-to-face -face interaction, whether you can do that actually in person, which is great, uh, or you can do a web call like we're doing here. Um, and, you know, at the very least, some phone calls, right? But making sure that you're talking through kind of high level, big picture, philosophy, all this kind of stuff. And of course, yes, track record experience, uh, whatnot. Um, you know, every uh, uh, sponsor, every general partnership should be able to you know, hand you some kind of credentials, you know, uh, even if they're a new group, it's like, well, here's the experience I had before and kind of, you know, a resume of sorts. Right. And so you should just be comfortable with that. At the end of the day, it's a people business. It's really all about the team being able to execute the business plan. So it's feeling comfortable with them, getting along with them. And this is going to be in some cases a five to seven year relationship. So the last thing you want to do is not do what I'm talking about, give your money away and then go, God, I really hate this person. And I hate the way they communicate with me. <laughs> you know, now seven years of that, that's pretty brutal. So um, yeah, those are just some, some thoughts that came to mind. Sure. So talk about, you mentioned, um, we, we kind of touched on your, your first experience as a whole. Was it a multifamily opportunity you invested in? Yeah. So I had done quite a bit of, uh, criteria building prior. It wasn't as structured as it probably should have been. But one thing I really looked at was I thought, okay, if I'm going to be in real estate for the long term for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, who knows, I need to find an asset class to master that's going to be recession resistant, not recession proof, not risk free, but something that can hold up in a downturn and can hold up in a good market. So for me, that was value add a B and C class multifamily of unit counts of, you know, 200 units plus, you know, just for the diversification piece uh, and the ability to sell to institutional capital potentially on the exit. So um, that's just sort of the niche that I found. It's not the only way. It certainly is, is not how everybody views it, but um, yeah, I mean, so far so good. And I did a lot of back testing to look at what happened in 08, 09 and multifamily, specifically these types of properties. And I felt comfortable deploying into things like that. Sure, sure. And so the, the types of properties you, you know, invest in, is it mostly B, C, the garden style of what, what is it, yeah. what's your criteria? Yeah, mostly, mostly B and C, uh, primarily B, I would say. So we're in, for anyone listening that's not familiar, 1980s, 1990s, early 2000s, uh, value add, meaning that the, the, the rents are probably below market upon purchase. It needs maybe a new management company, better marketing, better landscaping, renovating units. And the value add is really a win-win for the, for the residents and for the ownership team in that you know, you're actually providing real value, like say, you know, there's no covered carports or something uh, on a property, but there, but it's known to have hail in that area. Well, a lot of people would be willing to pay a little bit of a premium to protect their car, uh, just makes sense. So things like that, self-storage on site, um, you know, just better amenities, uh, package locker systems to cut down on theft and crime and just convenience in general. There's a lot of good win-win strategies where value is created on both ends. And that's kind of the, the, the deal that I look for. I, I don't like to feel like we're just going to buy something and bump the rents and make it harder on people. That, that doesn't sit well with me. So it needs to be a good, you know, win-win. Sure. And um, to kind of ask you a question from your, from when you first started speaking was how 
you looked at your single family portfolio and like you said, you kind of, you know, wrote down on a piece of paper, your, your net worth or estimated mm-hmm. net worth. Mm-hmm. And how did you, did you have anybody help consult with you in regards to making this decision or was this purely you? Like, this is exactly what I want to want to do. Um, you know, I want to get rid of all these and just mm-hmm. invest with the best operators. Yeah. I, t- I speak a lot. I do, I do, you know, blogs and, and videos and social media content. And I talk a lot about just self-education in general. And the fact that a mentor doesn't have to mean that you hire like a coach that's on the phone with you and, you know, kicking your butt every week to, to make you do stuff. A mentor can come from a book. A mentor can come from a YouTube video, you know, and that's how I define mentors. It's anyone who's helping you make these decisions. So in a sense, I had a lot of mentors in that respect. I didn't have a direct coach saying, here's what, or a financial advisor, what have you. Uh, This was just me self-reflecting and saying, I love passive income. I love tax advantages. I love all these things. I want those things. I'm just not good at fix and flips. I don't like managing tenants. I don't have time to do this, this specific type of model and just aligning all of that together into something that made sense. For me, that was syndications. But again, everybody's different. To my surprise, as I got into this industry, if you would have asked me in say 2009, you know, what's a apartment investor? What, what type of person is that? Well, I would have said, well, either like a billionaire or somebody with, you know, 30, 40 years experience in real estate. But to my surprise, a lot of people doing syndication investing are doctors, dentists, lawyers, attorneys, professional athletes, business owners. It's anyone making a, a solid income. They don't want to take their eye off the ball. And, and try to be the weekend warrior. And I'm going to go fix and flip this house on the weekend and get back to being a dentist on Monday. A lot of people don't want to do that for obvious reasons. And so that's the majority of folks just looking to park some capital, maybe outside the stock market, a little less volatile, a little more consistent and stable. Yeah, Sure. And have you invested in anything outside of multifamily or is it always? Yeah. Yeah. So 80% roughly is like value add multifamily BNC properties. Uh, 20% is experimental. So publicly traded REITs, ATM machine investing, first lien notes, um, you know, distressed debt funds. I mean, I've done all these different experimental things, uh, all of which, by the way, are monthly distribution, cash flow focused investments, but ones I, I haven't had a real chance to master yet. So I'm just trying to experiment here and there with them. And some have done really well, uh, perhaps better than multifamily. Others I've lost money in. So it's just kind of at the end of the day, I always set with invest in what makes sense to you, invest in what you know, invest in what you're comfortable with, uh, mostly. And then, you know, everyone says it a different way. I know like Mark Cuban says like something like 10% Bitcoin, meaning it's a little, you know, experimental, but, you know, put some capital there maybe, but don't go put 90% there because uh, no one really knows how that's going to work long-term anyhow. Sure. And no, but nobody still knows. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact. So, Oh, that's, that's really awesome. So I want to wind it down a little bit now, Travis. I usually ask my guests um, at the end of each show, just three questions. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, I didn't really have a specific mentor, but you mentioned yeah. obviously uh, Kiyosaki's other book in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so you kind of touched on my first question, uh, which was going to be your favorite business book or real, real estate book. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, um, my second question would be, um, do you have any hobbies outside of, you know, all these passive investments? Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So the, the beauty of, uh, you know, I talk about, you know, when you have enough passive income to cover your lifestyle expenses at the end of the day, that's not really about money. What that's about is, is freedom over your time, right? Just it, options. Let's just call it that, right? The option to like I left the oil field job or an option to move to part-time work because you work too much or an option to pivot and switch careers. Um, for my wife and I, we love world travel. Um, that's just our passion. So our biggest hobby is just traveling around, you know, across the globe when we get the chance on these little two and three week vacations and whatnot. Um, so that's really our focus. We're just, we're world travelers and we love that. So. That's awesome. And you had the time to do it through all the income that you're receiving from all these investments. So that's great. Um, how can people find you, Travis? Yeah, good question. So I spend my weeks in these 15 to 30 minute intervals speaking with people all across the board from the 18 year old looking to maybe buy his first home or her first home to the 70 year old that, hey, I heard this word syndication. What does that mean? You know, and anyone in between, right? Accredited, non-accredited. So uh, I'll send you a link to my calendar. You can share with your listeners. Uh, Feel free. It's a free 15 minute Q&A call. Anything here we spoke about didn't make sense. You have questions on or or whatever. Happy to connect that way. I'm on bigger pockets. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Uh, Instagram is at uh, passive investor tips. Same thing with Facebook. And of course, ashcroftcapital.com. You can find me there as well. But uh, definitely reach out. Happy to connect with any of your listeners and add value and resources in any way that I can. Awesome. And we'll add a link to everything Travis just mentioned in the comments section of our social media as well, and also in the iTunes description. So you can uh, book that calendar call with Travis. And um, Travis, again, really appreciate you coming on the show here. Uh, Very unique story. And I uh, hope uh, my listeners, uh, I certainly learned something from it. I hope you guys did too. And uh, until next time, we'd love to have you back on the show again in a year or so. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks so much. Thank you again.